the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for July 22nd, 2012. And today we're just going to be covering uh, just about four different subjects. Uh, we're going to talk about this uh, shooting in Colorado with the whole Batman premiere film. Uh, we're going to kind of go into that subject in depth. We're also going to be looking at the upcoming Satanic Occult Calendar Really for the next week. Actually, I guess more for the next uh, 10 days, 2 week period. Because there's a lot on that calendar right now that we need to be in prayer about. And there's a lot of events in conjunction with that. Regarding the Olympics. Uh, regarding the UN Small Arms Treaty that's coming up. Uh, this thing with the... Batman shooting, we're going to be looking at and how all that ties together. So those are the main subjects we're going to be going over today. This is a 12-page PDF I've put together. And first article, and as always, I'll usually take a source article and then I'll add Bible verses in or I'll do other research and I'll add other things in. So it's typically never just one particular source I'm using. It's usually many sources I actually put in, but it's entitled Batman Shooting Shows Obvious Signs of Being Staged. I thought this was about the best one I had seen because there were so many out there, and this is from uh, Natural News, Mike Adams. It was very good because he covered a lot of different bases here, kind of taking a look at the big picture. It starts out by saying, uh, James Holmes, the Aurora, Aurora, Colorado shooter, who reportedly opened fire at the Batman movie premiere movie Dark Knight Rising, was a medical student at the University of Colorado, pursuing a Ph.D. in neuroscience. And there's a link here. All the sources are all linked, and you can go to the PDF for uh, July 22, 2012 on ContendingForTruth.com and, and click on any of the links if you want to explore those further. As part of the attack, Holmes painted his hair red and referred to himself as the Joker, one of the arch enemies of the DC Comics-inspired Batman movie series. And he really did. He had red hair. He he dyed it. So, according to news reports, this sudden violent rampage was completely out of character for James Holmes, who was described as shy. The New York Times is now reporting Bill Cromica, a pre-med student at the University of Colorado Boulder, worked with Mr. Holmes for three months last summer as a research assistant in a lab at the Anschultz Medical Campus. Mr. Cromka said he was surprised to learn Mr. Holmes was the shooting suspect. He said it was just shocking because there was no way I thought he could have the capacity to commit an atrocity like this. Uh, He spent much of his time immersed in the computer, often participating in role-playing online games, which, again, a lot of role-playing online games are first-person shooter games where you come in in a scenario like this and, you know, kill as many people as possible. So I've done some teachings on, you know, video games and particularly these role-modern ones, the uh, first-person shooter violent ones and how that affects a person. Particularly, these people literally become obsessed. It becomes their total world that they're immersed in. And I do think that's part of the scenario here, part of the problem. 
So it goes on to say that there is already conjecture that Mr. Holmes may be involved in mind-altering neuroscience research. I mean, there's second red flag. Okay, so he's involved in these role-playing uh, video games. He's kind of a hermit loner. He's involved in mind-altering neuroscience research, so who knows what type of experimentation was actually being done on him because the more information that keeps coming out about this guy, the more it appears that he's some type of, of involved in some type of mind-control um, experiment. And he's already involved, you know, enrolled at University of Colorado in their neuroscience research facility. So if ever there was a place you could pull something like that off, well, he would be exactly where he would need to be. So he ended up becoming involved at depth he, he never anticipated, though. His actions clearly show a strange detachment from reality, indicating he was not in his right mind, that that can only be typically be accomplished through drugs, hypnosis, or trauma, and sometimes all three. Well, there's such, such thing as like the MK Ultra trauma-based mind control, where you're traumatized and programmed mentally, and MK Ultra. I mean, you could tell this doesn't happen. Yes, it does. Just it's the documents from our government have actually been declassified on the MK Ultra project. How our government's done this to people, and um, a lot of it involved the bringing over of the Nazi sign of the Nazi uh, doctors who were doing the mind control experiments in the Nazi death camps, like Mengele and the, those types. And people will say, well. Mengele went to Argentina or whatever. Well, we got a ton, and it's admitted. I just was watching another documentary the other night where they admitted that through Project Paperclip, we brought over, you know, the best rocket scientists. But that's the only thing they really wanted to talk about. They didn't talk about the other people <laughs> they brought over, like, you know, in the uh, the uh, horrific medical uh torture experiments they were doing on human beings at these at these concentration camps. It wasn't just a matter of eradicating um, the Jews and, and, and the Gypsies and the Poles and those types of people. It was a matter of having subjects that they could impose their will on through these horrific satanic tests and, and you know, they, they had all the people they could ever possibly want. They could kill them indiscriminately, and they could experiment over and over and over and over again. In fact, I was watching a clip from one last night, and the guy uh, on a World War II documentary, and the guy said when he went into, um, it was one of the American troops that was one of the ones that liberated, and they said they came to this one castle, and they said, well, that was an insane asylum, they were told by the villagers in the, where they were at. So they go in there, and they were like, what it had been actually, it was an insane, insane asylum at one point, but what they had converted it over to was a place where these Nazi, sick, twisted, demon-possessed uh, uh, MDs were doing these experiments. And the guy, the basically the guy said that they were interviewing from World War II, he said, they did things in there, I saw things in there when I just went to liberate it. He said that were so unspeakable. He said I can't even. He said I, I can't even mention what they were doing to those people. It was so incredibly, hideously unspeakable. And there were scores of people that that saw this after the war when they liberated all of those death camps. You know the the millions of cremated and 
half buried bodies and, and bodies that weren't buried and you know you name it I mean it was starved to to the brink of death and these cream of the crop devil MD scientists were some of the main ones we brought over to America through Project Paperclip to in order to facilitate and a lot of that had to do with starting of the MK Ultra Mind Control things which those documents have been declassified we you know, to the point where they've admitted it. So, you have to think, if they started it way back then, well, how much more perfected is the process now? Um, Russ Dizdar's mentioned these these legions of satanic super soldiers that's, that are going to be activated or triggered at the right time. Um, the Dark Awakening. And I, I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And, and this... Sounds like one of those super soldiers or whatever that was basically uh, triggered. And a, a trigger can come through something as much as a phone call. And it's kind of funny, we're going to see that right before the shooting happened, a guy that was actually, uh, I'm going to play the recording so you can hear them, a guy that was there, I think the guy was one or two rows in front of him, he got a phone call and then he went to the side door, which is very unusual, the emergency exit, and propped that door, and, and he thought propped the door open. And at one point he said, I thought he motioned somebody to, to actually, well, you know, that phone call could have been the actual, he could have just spoke something to him. It can be literally be one phrase. There's all kind of shows from Hollywood that they've put out, well, and these Manchurian candidates, where they speak one word, and it triggers the program that they go into. And in this particular case, it would be this death program where they would come in and, and kill him. And, and they, he did so in such a way where he was very calm. He was, it didn't seem like he was nervous. He was very nonchalant. He was, he was literally in this mind-altered state where he'd been triggered to most likely do this. So this has the earmarks of that all, all over it. And as you'll see, we're going to confirm that as we move on with this. So uh, let's see here. His behavior already reveals stark inconsistencies that question the mainstream explanation of events. For example, he opened fire on innocent people, but then he calmly surrendered to police without resistance. Now, that's usually unusual, because normally when this happens, they'll put in the programming where they kill themselves afterward. That way there's no witness to interrogate. That's typically what happens. They'll turn the gun on themselves. So a little bit surprised that he didn't kill himself. But I'm sure that his Illuminati handlers had a reason for that. So let's go further. Uh, this is not consistent with the idea of killing everyone. Furthermore, he then admitted to police that his apartment was booby-trapped with explosives. Um, if you were really an evil-minded joker trying to kill people, including cops, why would you warn them about all the booby traps in advance? I mean, isn't that the whole point of putting up those type of of explosive devices so that somebody goes in there unknowingly and then they get killed too. Okay, so they're saying it doesn't add up. Holmes was actually taken into custody shortly after shooting, uh, adding he didn't resist when he was arrested. In the hours, days, weeks ahead, we can expect a concerted attack on the right to own firearms. And again, this is the whole reason that this event most likely was triggered was knowing this UN Small Arms Treaty is coming up for a vote uh, within this next week, and Obama's trying to get as many people on board as possible, you have this event take place 
where our Second Amendment rights and our, and our right to bear arms, oh, it's, it's the gun's fault. What was really tragic was the fact that nobody in the audience had a gun that could have ended this before he killed, was it 14 people and injured 50-something? That was the tragic part. See, when you don't have guns in a society, when you take them away from the lawful citizens, that's when the government and or the bad guys come in to slaughter you. It happens like clockwork in every single race or society where they disarm the populace. And we're going to go over that later too. I mean, it's literally, when they take away the guns, the government knows they can come in and kill you and do whatever they want. Now, these people are, particularly at the top, demon-possessed. They're, they have no conscience, and they're the ones pulling, you know, the switches. So, obviously, Satan is going to work through them in order to maximally uh, slaughter as many people as he possibly can because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So when you disarm a populace, that's like the green light for Satan to come in and say, okay, we're going to kill as many people as possible because that's what I'm all about doing. That's what Satan is, why he's always, you know, behind this with the gun control. So, uh... Proponents of disarming the public will argue that restricting the right to own firearms will prevent mass murders and violence. Despite gun control's obvious failure, the calls for more restrictions have already begun. Uh, Piers Morgan of CNN came out uh, calling for more, for more gun control in the wake of the shooting. On Friday morning, New York, New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, a noted gun control advocate, called on President Obama and Mitt Romney to take a stance on the issue in the wake of the shootings. He said, quote, you know, soothing words are nice, but maybe it's time that the two people who want to be president of the United States stand up and tell us what they're going to do about it. Oh, like Chicago, where, you know, they've taken away all rights to basically, you know, have any kind of concealed weapon or guns or these types of things. And it has like the most worst, most horrific crime rate in almost all the cities in America. See, that's a great example of what gun control can do for your city, too. You take away the guns from the law-abiding, lawful people, and then only the bad guys and the ever-increasing corrupt uh, cops, military. When that happens, then it's just like wholesale slaughter of the law-abiding citizens. So uh, Chicago's a great example of that. But they, they hope that you don't ever put two and two together regarding those things. We're going to go over some statistics regarding that as well. Um, so he Bloomberg says, tell us what they're going to do about it because this is obviously a problem across the country. I mean, there are so many murders with guns every day. It just has to stop. You see, it's all guns' fault. It's the guns' fault. They're, they're bad. No, they're not. It's, guns are like money. They take on the personality of the possessor. Money in and of itself is neither good nor evil. I know it says the love of money is the root of all evil. But money in and of itself, if you had like a piece of gold or silver, that's evil? A gun, is that e Well, if you use it for righteous purposes, if you use gold for righteous purposes, what if you were to use it to like feed orphans and widows and like worthy ministries and stuff like that? Well, is it evil? If you, use, if you used a gun as a deterrent to defend Widows and orphans and the innocent, is that being used for an evil purpose? No, it takes on the personality of the possessor. So, you know, um, 
going further, then it says, and the Brady campaign took the opportunity to tell the nation that this is yet another horrific reminder that guns enable mass killings. See, it's all the guns' fault. Tragically, many were killed last night, but even more tragic is that there was not another gun-toting Samuel Williams at the theater. Um, He is the senior who rescued several Floridians against two armed thugs at an internet cafe last week. He had a gun. He was able to do that. But he couldn't have done that if he was unarmed. So, you know, you look at, uh, I think it's Marietta, Georgia, where they've got, like, some ordinance there that everybody has to have a gun. They have like almost no crime rate, or it's 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 right near Marietta. I've I've mentioned it before, and it's a whole town where everybody's armed, and their crime rate's almost next to nothing, because the criminals know if they break into a house or do something, chances are there's a good chance they're going to get shot. They're going to move on to easier prey, and you know that's how evil people are. They're they're not going if you know if they think they're going to get killed, they're going to really think twice about things. Now, you can read the whole story and watch the exciting video regarding this Samuel Williams. There's a link here you can click on. Going further, it says, and of course, while the national media is sure to focus on this Aurora, Aurora, Colorado shooting for the days to come, there is another shooting in the same city that you probably heard nothing about. When a worshiper at an Aurora church in Colorado stopped a shooting this past April through having a gun, okay, so... Uh, In that shooting, the bad guy was only able to kill one person in the parking lot as the armed hero took him out before any other damage could be done. That's the whole point of good people, lawful people, having guns, you know, to prevent more evil from occurring. It's a form of fighting evil. It's a form of protecting innocent um, people and, and these types of things. Psalm 82, 2 through 5 says, How long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. I propose that this is a form of defense. I mean, if you're there and you prevent the murder of women and children and and, and elderly and, and people that can't defend themselves, is that not a righteous thing? You know, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Is this not a way to rid them out of the hand of the wicked if you were to defend them? And now there's many ways you can do that. I'm just saying it, it is a potential way. And then it goes on to say, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. These evil people that do these things, they walk on in darkness. All of the foundations of the earth are out of course. That's pretty much true of today if, if, if it's ever been true, you know. Everything's so messed up, in other words, uh, from a worldwide society standpoint. Going back to the article, it says, Funny how the national media tends not to pick up the stories where the good guy stops the perpetrator. No, they ignore those. Because it doesn't... Um, it's, not the, it's not the message they want to convey. They want to they demonize guns and they want to downplay anything else that would go against that. Now, to keep things in perspective, guns are used 2.5 million times a year in self-defense. Law-abiding citizens use guns to defend themselves against criminals as many as 2.5 million times every year, or about 6,850 times a day. This means that each year, firearms are used more than 80 times more often to protect the lives of honest citizens than to take lives. Now, this is all referenced to you can click on the link. This is the Gun Owners of America fact sheet. 
They're one of the few organizations that I actually support. I don't support NRA. They're they're way, way, way too lukewarm and mealy mouth for my taste. Gun Owners of America actually have way more of a backbone. I know there's other ones out there that do too, but um, anyway, so firearms in this particular thing, this with the statistic that I just went over, firearms are used more than eighty times more often to protect the lives of honest citizens than to take lives. It's a pretty good statistic. Um, I mean, you know, um, there's probably a lot of Bible verses I could cite as well. Anyway, concealed carry laws have reduced murder and crime rates in the states that have enacted them. In other words, people that actually can carry a gun concealed. Because the bad guy's always going to be wondering if if he robs someplace, is there somebody in here with a concealed weapon weapon, and am I going to get shot? If none of those laws exist, if they have gun-free zones, which is what this Aurora, Colorado area, I guess, was, or or at least the movie theater, was gun-free, well, then that means that there is nothing in there, there's no one in there technically, legally, that can do anything to uh, really protect you if, if a guy comes in like this with a machine gun or something and starts mowing down people. And the criminals know that. So again, that's where they're going to gravitate to. Concealed carry laws have reduced murder and crime rates in the states that have enacted them according to a comprehensive study which revealed crime statistics in every country in the United States from 1977 to 1992. States which passed concealed carry laws reduced the rate of murder by 8.5%, the rate of rapes by 5%, and the rate of aggravated assault by 7%, and robbery by 3%. So again, it's, that's good fruit you're looking at. You're, you're preventing wickedness. You're preventing evil when you enact those types of righteous laws. Uh, next point, more guns, less crime. In the decades of the 1990s, the number of guns in the country increased by roughly 40 million, even while the murder rate decreased by almost 40%. Additional gun deaths in the home decreased by almost 40% as well. And a 40% murder rate? So, I mean, as you know, as a society becomes better and better armed. So, let's go further. And again, there's a whole... Those are just three of the points on this Gun Owners of America fact sheet. You can click there on the link. There's way more than that. It's just for time constraints. I wanted to... I can't go over them all. Uh, protection of our families is part of providing for our families. So, 1 Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his own house, and especially that... For those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Now, in the context of this verse, in the Noah Webster 1828, defines the word provide as to procure supplies or means of defense. Meaning, you protect. You're providing protection is under the, the banner, un, under the umbrella of providing. It's obvious. Of course it is. So, Provide, to procure supplies or means of defense, or to take measures for counteracting or escaping an evil. Now, the reason I use that is because the Webster's 1828 more closely defines the words of the King James Bible, uh, 1828 meaning the year 1828. It, it more closely defines the true meaning of the words in the King James Bible as they were meant to be conveyed. Whereas a dictionary today may not may have a totally different meaning, or one that's much more watered down, I found. So, uh, I list here Pastor John Weaver's two, probably 
one of the best, two best teachings I've ever heard on self, biblical self-defense, the biblical doctrine of, of self-defense. Um, parts one and two, I, I give you the links right here. It's on page three of the PDF. They're, they're, he's really, he's very polished. He's good at what he does. Uh, very good preacher. Anyway, um, so you can click on those if you like. Going further, consulting from CBS, he said, he said pictures from inside the apartment are fairly disturbing, and the devices look to be sophisticated. Adding the booby traps were something I've never seen. One rifle, two handguns, a knife, a bulletproof vest, a ballistic helmet, a gas device, a gas mask, military SWAT clothing, and unidentified explosives were also found in Holmes's car, a law enforcement officer told the CBS News. Oates said Holmes wore a gas mask, a ballistic helmet, and a vest, as well as leg, groin, and throat protectors during the shooting. So this guy was absolutely, totally, tactically decked out from head to toe in some very, very, very advanced gear. So going back to the story, it said, in other words, the guy was equipped with exotic gear by someone with connections to military equipment. SWAT clothing, explosives, complex booby traps, come on. This isn't a lone gunman type scenario. Also, this guy was jobless and actually collecting unemployment. And he's got all these exotic implements of warfare? I mean, it doesn't add up at all. Um, there's a link here to how he was collecting unemployment. This was something, Was he was, this is something who, somebody who was selected for a mission given equipment to carry it out, and then somehow brainwashed into getting it done. Yeah, just like so many of these shootings like this. Aurora Aurora Police Chief Dan Oates said Holmes' apartment is booby-trapped with a, with a sophisticated maze of flammable devices. It could take hours or days for authorities to disarm it, reports Yahoo News. This is not your run-of-the-mill crime of passion. It was carefully planned, heavily funded, and technically advanced attack. Who might be behind this all? Well, the FBI, of course, which has a long history of setting up staged similar attacks that they've admitted to. Now, if you don't believe that, there's four links here um, from naturalnews.com where they've openly admitted to setting up these types of scenarios. And a lot of times they'll say, well, we set them up and we bait them in and then we stop it at the very end. But if they're that adept at setting these things up, working with criminals to do things like this then what's to stop them from actually following through on a few of these and letting it go and then having a patsy to blame? <laughs> Nothing is to stop them. Here's four documented stories on these facts. You can click on the links there. I'm not going to go into them right now, but, I mean, see for yourself. It's all documented. A guy, um, after the shooting, I went up on... I was trying to look at the comments that were being left um, for some of this, these... Uh, stories regarding this Colorado shooting. One guy, Nick 689, says, uh, I woke up at about 2 a.m. I couldn't get back to sleep. I turned on the TV, and about this time, the story broke. At that time, they were pretty convinced there were two suspects. They were showing images of the cops going into the mall to look for the other suspect. I fell asleep, and when I woke up, it was down to one suspect. But cut to about 2 p.m. that day, and I was watching CNN, and they were interviewing a witness who was in Theater 9, and he said he saw someone get on their cell phone and go over to the exit, and there was a, and was there for a bit. And it wasn't long after that when Holmes came bursting in through the same exit. In other words, he had some, not only was he most likely communicating with the guy, 
probably on the phone with him, probably wanted to show him exactly what uh, theater he was in. I mean, think about it. If you're standing on the outside of a theater, you're not going to know exactly what movie's playing in what theater. If it's one of the super complexes, it, it especially, like if it's like there's 16 movies playing or something like that, I mean, that looked like a pretty big theater to me. Well, how do you know what door is for that movie? Okay? Think about that. Well, if the guy comes to the door and he's the only guy that pops the door open and says, hey, hey, this is the one you want to come through. You want to come through this door. And guess what? I'm going to trigger you whatever mind control thing he did. Most likely, I'm not saying he was the one, but I'm saying, you know, good possibility. So he's going to show him the door. He's also going to provide the trigger. He's going to give him the means to actually get in the door. It was a steel reinforced door that would only um, open, like, it. from what I heard, the, the steel doors actually went into the um, uh, into the building themselves. So it's not something you could pry open. I mean, they're literally, they set into the, into the wall. They open out from the outside. So you'd have to have somebody from the inside to get you in, is the whole point there. So I'm going to play this little clip here, uh, actually two short videos of James Holmes' possible second sh- shooter in the tragic Batman Denver. So I'm going to go ahead and play that now. Okay, so this is the first witness that is basically going to say the same thing as the second witness. Two different guys, okay? And um, you're going to hear what he has to say here. Now, they're interviewing him about what he saw inside. He was, you know, first-hand witness here. We don't know. We have ideas. We, From what we saw, he wasn't alone. He had someone with him uh, because the, the second can of tear gas didn't come from his side. Okay, uh, so did you hear that from, you know, he, he, had, he had somebody helping him. Second can of tear gas came from the opposite side. In other words, there was somebody else in there doing this with him. Um, he was completely dressed in, in black, head to toe. From what we saw, it seemed like he had something over his face, probably to prevent him from breathing it in. And he, uh, I, we can only assume that someone got him in because he was hit, whatever he was wearing seemed thick. So I don't think he would really, I think he'd stand out in the crowd. So he's oh, saying, well, we from, from what we're saying, he somebody got him in there. Okay, and so there's one witness saying that, and then... The second one, and there's actually three videos, but the last two are the same guy, so I'm not going to, it's it's too redundant, but he says something in this in this video, he doesn't say in the other, uh, that I thought was rather telling here, so I'm going to go ahead and play this one now. It was supposed to be only just a fun night with me, with my friend, a good friend and I. I went into the theater, grabbed a seat, which ended up to be, I was sitting in the second row, probably four seats away from the right aisle where people usually enter from. Uh, and another guy walked in after me, sat in front of me in the front row, probably to the far right seat, and I noticed he got a phone call. Most people, when they get phone calls, they would take it out into the lobby, but this person directly went to the emergency exit. And on the phone the entire time, he was propping the door open with his foot, and he was asking, it looked like he was directing somebody to come towards his direction. Huh. Now, did you hear that? You might not be able to hear it because there's wind. He said, but he went, he propped the door open, and it looked like he was directing somebody to come to his direction on the door he had just propped open. Turned out to be that was the same door where this Holmes guy came through and killed everybody. So, I mean, come on. I mean, this is this really reeks of, of a setup here, of, of a pre-planned thing that they were pulling off here. 
So, again, that, then he just goes into the account of the actual shooting. But some guy was there, propped the door open, and was motioning for somebody to come come toward him. <laughs> and it's the same door that the killer comes through. So, uh, you know. Sounds like, you know, there's a whole lot that, that we're not being told on mainstream news, even though that was on one of the local interviews, but again, they're not going to emphasize that. They're going to de-emphasize that. So here's a little comic strip of a of the 1986, uh, I believe, Batman. Yeah, this is the horrific shooting at the screening. Oh, the horrific shooting at the screening of Dark Knight Rises in Colorado late last night bears eerie similarities to a scene in the 1986 comic Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. In this comic, a crazed, gun-toting loner walks into a movie theater and begins shooting it up, killing three in the process. The passage concludes with the media blaming Batman for inspiring the shooting, though he is not involved in the incident at all. Um, Also, Batman turns out, just like in the Batman show, he turns out to be the only one that can protect the citizenry. You know, that's how it always is with these superheroes. They turn out to be the only ones that can protect us. You know, I'll rely on the Lord Jesus Christ to protect me. I'm not going to rely on some demon-possessed supposed superhero who is going to come and protect me and and do this. But again, uh, this is the the thing they're going to try to uh, convey. Now, I give you the actual, the, the comic strips right here. It's on page four of the PDF, and you can read it for yourself. He's in the theater here, and um, a commentary on it says, here we go again, There, are, there's going to be a lot of speculation regarding this Batman movie shooting. Now, this movie, I watched the like this extended trailer for it, and I looked at this movie and I'm like, how many millions did it cost to make this movie? I looked it up, $250 million dollars. For one stinking movie. How much good could that money do for like widows and orphans and the poor and you know if they But no 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 Hollywood's gotta make sure they make a two hundred and fifty million dollar movie so we can have our bread and circuses and be entertained and then they can also program us through their mind control and through you know the subliminal embeds in the show and basically uh Telegraph to us that unless we have some outside intervening superhero in, in I, I think in really many cases it's the government, that we'll never be safe because we have to have that because we're helpless without it. And it's just so disgusting that they would blow that kind of money on something like this. And, you know, people go in there and, I mean, the, the littlest girl that was killed was six years old. What are you doing bringing your six-year-old to an incredibly violent movie at a midnight showing? I, I don't get that. I, I just, there were infants there. There were babies and little kids and stuff. And, and it's like, 
I mean, you know, the, the mother should get mother of the year. Father and mother of the year. Whoever bring their kids to one of these things. Midnight showing, no less. You know, you would think that would be kind of a strictly adult thing. Eh, no, no, they bring their kids in. You know, it's fun family night out, I guess. Um, so it fits too perfectly into their gun control agenda build up late uh, for it not to be staged. But already we're seeing the same pattern of foreshadowing and predictive programming. If you want a real hint, this report just showed up in the Washington Times of all things. There, of course, in insinuating it was possible, it was the possible inspiration for the shooter, meaning this comic strip. Okay, well, might have been part of his programming, could, sure could have been. Well, we'll be learning more about him quickly, but from his disturbed profile, he sure seems to fit the usual mind control pattern. He had just put up some profile on Adult Friend Finder, which is like a sex site type deal, where you know he had this red hair and this picture of this woman behind him. I mean, the, the dude looked really, really messed up. He, I mean, he looked, you know, perverted to the toenails. There's something wrong with the guy, obviously. But anyway, what is strange is how prevalent this comic-type illustration predictive programming is with these false flag events. And um, the 1986 comic written and drawn by Frank Miller, this was that little comic strip that they're saying might have inspired this killer, uh, was a key inspiration for the Chris Nolan Batman films. It, it helped to reimagine, re-image the character away from the Sunday morning cartoon image, kind of a good guy image, into the dark, grim Aven- Avenger image that he is now. The point of this particular scene in the comic was to show just how far Gotham has fallen since Batman had retired. See, we have to have Batman or some superhero-type figure in order to save us. And I think this this is going to play in heavily with the coming cataclysms on the planet Earth and the emergence of these ascended masters or these are these fake false messiahs that are going to come on the horizon. One, you know, claiming to be, you know, to the Muslims, you know, the, the fifth... Uh, the fifth Imam, Imam Mahdi, and you know the Messiah to the Jews, and, the, and Jesus Christ to the Christians, and the fifth Buddha to the Buddhists, and you know Krishna to the to the um, Hindus. You're going to see a lot of this, and I, I think that Hollywood's had so much invested in this whole superhero garbage and people with heightened powers and all this stuff coming here to save us and being ultimately the only hope for humanity. I don't believe they've just done that with no agenda behind it. I think that we're going to start seeing these demon-infested individuals literally coming on the scene. I'm not saying it's going to be just like Batman, but they've invested so much from a Hollywood-style standpoint. I I think that that there's going to be some type of um, implementation of this on some levels. Where we're going to have to have some type of savior save us because we're not going to be capable of doing it. Obviously, it's going to involve you totally giving up all your rights and giving up your guns and, and taking away any power you might have <coughs> excuse me, to protect yourself or your family. And I'm not saying the Lord Jesus Christ isn't where we should be looking at for our protection. But when you totally disarm a, a populace, again, that is the green light for the Illuminati to come in wholesale, wholesale slaughter the whole whoever they deem undesirable. And it's happened over and over and over again. And we're going to, again, we will go over those statistics. So, again, I, you know, the ultimate agenda with this, I think that we're going we're gonna to be amazed at uh, how this is going to actually be played out in the end times. So this 
this video is Secrets of Batman The Dark Knight Rises leaked and exposed. So I'm going to go ahead and play this right now. And I believe... I think this is Alex Jones. And, and again, I have people get on me about Alex Jones. Okay, yeah, I've done a ton of warnings about Alex Jones. About this critique he did on Prometheus. About this New Age video that he just put out about his associations with David Icke and in, in, in that Joe Rogan Satanist guy and a lot of other garbage that he does. Very, very new agey in his belief system. I, I don't believe for one second he's saved. He does not exemplify any fruit of the Spirit. He can say whatever about God all day long. I don't buy it because ultimately it's all about us, us, us and how we're going to rise up and how we're going to defeat the New World Order. And you know what? Biblically, that's not going to happen. The New World Order is going to happen. Satan is going to have a seven-year, essentially a seven-year reign on this planet. And and the Bible's very, very clear on that. And, and for us to think that we're going to come and like, uh, negate Scripture, which is essentially what they're... they're basically acting like they're going to do, where we're going to have, like, we're going to take the world back and there's going to be no new world order. That would go against scripture. It's not going to happen. Now, can God protect his remnant? Yes, absolutely. Will there be many that will be martyred, though? Absolutely. I mean, it's just a fact. The Bible says, Jesus Christ said, pray that ye be accounted worthy to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth and, and to stand before the Son of Man. He says that directly in regard to the end times. So that is a prayer that, that you know, we can and should be praying. Uh, I don't, but the thing is, is though there are certain topics, though, he's right on top of. And, and to say every single thing he puts out is garbage, which I have some people, and they're like, oh, he's this and he's that. He might, he might be some of those things, but as far as actually being on top of a lot of the breaking news, which is breaking and is just news, I'm still going to use that as a source. It's like I use CNN or MSNBC or Drudge Report or something like that. I use Alex Jones the same way. So I'm not pointing to him as some type of Messiah figure to save us, but I do use some of his reports. I got a whole document on him, on all the red flags on Alex Jones. So again, I'm trying to have some balance here. There's some things where he's on top of it more than any other person as far as the an, the analysis part and the breakdown of it. And I agree. And there's some things that I, I see from him and it's like, oh my word. I mean, particularly with this David Icke and the New Age stuff and the whole, we're a species. And, and the species, and he keeps using that word over and over. And this is the same things that the New World Order boys do. They use that word over and over and over again. And, and I don't know. I could I could do... There's pros and cons here, but I'm using that source like I would use, again, NBC, CNN, MSNBC, Drudge, stuff like that. So understand, that's where I'm coming from with Alex Jones. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this video. One of the most anticipated movies in a long time is about to come out. The Dark Knight Rises. Now, he, this was the critique he did of this movie like a month ago or something, way b before it even came out. And he did this, and I, I think that it's interesting to note he did this, 
ahead of time, before any of this happened, with this Aurora shooting. Get ready, because we are going to leak, spoil, and decode the new Batman film that's coming out. We're going to get into the meaning behind the meaning, the secrets behind the secrets. But first, understand, this is one of the most successful propaganda franchises out there selling tyranny. For all of you that say it's just a movie, for more than 50 years, the Department of Defense has paid and financed for most major action films. They all have a unified prop... Did you hear that? The Department of Defense is behind these action films? I mean, again, whoa. I mean, okay, well, what's the reason he's going to get into that? Propaganda message selling you on the idea that you're powerless and that you can't protect yourself. Only shadowy groups, by violating your rights and liberties, can keep you safe. Throughout the Batman franchise, any vigilantes other than Batman are powerless, pathetic, fat, stupid, or psychopathic. To understand the conclusion of the Dark Knight series, we first have to go back to the beginning. In Batman Begins, a secret society known as the League of Shadows, led by Ra's al Ghul, played by Liam Neeson, seeks to put a poisonous psychotropic drug in the water supply to drive Gotham, the archetypal New York, into total insanity. Then he will bring order out of the chaos. And as all informed people know, governments have been fluoridating water supplies for more than 60 years, causing brain damage and cancer. So we see here in the first installment a revelation of the method, or the power structure showing you how they operate. That there are secret societies that manipulate for good and bad. Bruce Wayne, the aristocrat, the banker, the globalist, has his secretive system, and then there's the evil uh, outlanders trying to come in and take over. In part two, Batman, the Dark Knight, we're introduced to the Joker. Now let's analyze the underlying messages here. He is a nonconformist, a libertarian type who makes his own clothes and burns money. Nothing. No matches on prints, DNA, dental, clothing is custom, no labels. He doesn't go along with the mainline consumerist corporate culture. And so he's got to be a murdering psychopath who enjoys blowing up hospitals, bridges, ships, and killing police officers. But our hero, the rich banker-industrialist Bruce Wayne, have developed a system to hack into cell phones and use them to create a sonar system that can give them a three-dimensional view of what's happening by using Defense Department technology they were developing to hack into all the cell phones and use them as audio microphone systems. They're able to save the city because they violate everyone's rights and spy on them without warrants. So again, it aids and abets and gives comfort to criminal elements in the NSA who on record are spying on the American people and using all of our appliances, from smart meters to computers to smartphones, spy on us. All of it is pro-tyranny propaganda. 
See, if you get a smart meter and you have any of the modern appliances, they can literally use these modern appliances to spy on you uh, through the smart meters. This is one of the ways that they can actually use, and this is why they want to get smart meters installed on all the homes in America and, and have everybody, particularly with upgraded appliances as well, because, you know, it's it's like Big Brother everywhere you turn, even in your house. This is the type of environment they're trying to create. We now move from part two to part three, the dark night rises. So let's start decoding the dark night rises. Number one, look at the name, the dark night rises. And we're told that He's willing to give it all up. We've given everything. Oh, you've already given these people so much. I haven't given everything. So he's this Christ figure, yeah. this dark Christ who is fighting the evil secret society led by Bane, who is coming to destroy Babylon, the beautiful city. Here's a huge... A very good analogy there. You know, destroying Babylon, this dark, Christ-like figure that's coming along here to, you know, uh, you know, put his life on the line to save everyone. And, and, I mean, it's just, it's blasphemous, really. And that's how these superheroes are typically portrayed in that regard. Juicy spoilers. Batman gets his back broken in a fight with Bane. At the end, as Bane is dying, we learn that he's a Darth Vader character who can't survive without the mask, which is the recurring cyborg archetype that humanity can't live without machines. So that's the transhumanism. So, yeah, man can't live without machines, the whole the whole thing there. So, yeah, I mean, there, there's so many agendas they're trying to cover here with this particular movie. Who is Bane? He's a symbolic demon, a destroyer, a symbol of the Hegelian dialectic order out of chaos to the conscious mind these symbols don't register to the subconscious they are clear commands just like you're a computer the power of Hollywood the power of images the program the mind is not debated and the Pentagon and Madison Avenue know that remember back in 1975 when for more than two years the beaches were almost empty in the United States and areas of Europe and Australia because people were so scared that a giant shark was going to eat them. Psychological warfare chiefs certainly paid attention to that. Even though on average less than five people die a year from great white shark attacks worldwide, people would not go in the water and were demanding shark patrols and more lifeguards for a non-existent threat. And that's what these movies do. Not just these Batman films. Every one of these films has terrorists blowing up major cities constantly to create the psychological illusion that there's big sharks out there that want to eat you. And there's Now, can you imagine, though, when the terror thing becomes real? He's acting as though with terrorism. He makes a lot of good points. And yes... Our government has funded Al-Qaeda and a lot of these organizations. No doubt about that. But the thing that Alex doesn't really ever acknowledge is the fact that, like, the Quran commands holy jihad, as they put it, thus holy war, to kill, destroy, and slay the infidels, and to do it in whatever way possible. 
Now, can you imagine when these types of terroristic attacks actually really start taking place on American soil? He's not going to be able to say that anymore. He's not going to be able to act like, oh, there's this non-existent terrorist threat. There is an existent terrorist threat. We've let them into the country. We've let them set up their terrorist cells for the last 20, 30 years you know, there's been documentation of this. They're, they're, you know, the, the border's open. They can come in. Uh, we've done everything we can do to incite them to rage over in the Middle East with the way our government and the militaries handle things, and they are chomping at the bit to wipe out the great Satan. So when that stuff really starts happening, then Alex Jones isn't going to be able to say there's this non-existent threat. Because if you read the Quran, it will tell them, Kill, destroy, slay the infidels. What is an infidel? A non-believer in Islam. And America is viewed as the great Satan. So, you know, I understand what he's saying there, but we have to also look at the other side. And, and that, those days are coming. In fact, when World War III starts, and I've said this in, in a lot of uh, the previous teachings, when World War III starts, which could be any minute, for various, very many different reasons... And we're going to talk about that today as well. I believe one of the first things we're going to see here simultaneously with things going on in the Middle East are these terrorist cells activated in America. Possibly releasing things like anthrax, biologics, possibly setting off false flag nukes, possibly hijacking things and blowing things up or whatever. If you had that going on on a mass scale across the country, you think we might go into martial law pretty quick? You know? Then it's going to be very real. And yes, the government, just like 9-11, they can blame it on the bad terrorists and say, oh, look, and when we provided and let them do this and set them up and facilitated the whole thing, just like 9-11. And again, if, if you think 9-11 was, was a, uh, was, you know, these terrorists with box cutters getting on planes and hijacking them and precisionly uh, flying them with pinpoint accuracy into the trade centers. Please go up to YouTube and key in Loose Change 9-11, Final Cut, Loose Change. Just key that in. I've never had anybody come back to me and say, I can refute that video point by point. No, you can't. It's impossible. That's just one of the myriad of videos up on YouTube or information out there that totally debunks 9-11. It was a totally an inside job. Our government had everything to do with it. They facilitated And look at how they mightily have mightily taken advantage of that to take away so many of our rights since then through things like the Patriot Act and, you know, the ramping up of Homeland Security and FEMA. And there's all kind of other things they've signed into legislation as a result of it. They've used it mightily. So can you imagine when these terrorist cells are finally triggered, when World War III starts in the Middle East, you know, the thing is, is what you want to pray for is you want to pray that wherever God wants you, when that stuff, that you're already there. Because I really believe they're going to shut down the interstate system and they're going to pretty much, the world is going to kind of go on lockdown. So again, we're going to be looking at some things that could be happening just this next week with the Olympics, with some information that I've gotten where this could happen very quickly. I'm not saying it's going to, but I'm here as a watchman to warn you and give you possible scenarios, not just so that we can wring our hands about them, but so that you can actually pray about it. And possibly God would avert these things. So anyway, let's go back to the main article here. 
Uh, he gets into some other things. He, he does mention one of the things I thought was pretty funny, which is true. He said that these men that go to these things like Batman, and they go in there, and they're, they, they, they're so obsessed with this type of stuff. Like the guys that really get into the video games and the, the again, the violent role playing stuff and they, and they like start to be, you know, little, little gods of their own universes and stuff like that. And they'll actually start to dress up and stuff and go into these things. And, and, um, it wasn't too long ago that, um, I had heard there was some Star Trek, or was it, uh, Star Wars or something? There was something here locally where they had some, new Star Wars show or something, and these people, these grown men, raging anywhere, some of them were, were younger, but a lot of them were like up to 50 years old, and they're dressing up like Darth Vader, and, and, and you know, Luke Skywalker, and they bring in their lightsabers, and they were like fighting in the lobby, like like mock fighting, not really real, and they were that, in. these are grown, stinking men that are acting like four-year-olds, and, I mean, we're talking spending a lot of money on elaborate costumes, so into it, and they would go in there and, and, and you, know, you know, you know, him and Han, ooh and ah, and, oh, yeah, and, and Alex Jones compared it to, you know, like, he said that, like, when he's heard these men, I mean, he didn't even react that strongly when, you know, he saw his, uh, his, his first child born. But yet these men will go in there and just be so enamored and, oh, the power. You know, it reminds you of, of the modern-day sport, sporting uh, events like, you know, college football, pro football, and these men, and they dress up and they paint their faces and they go in there and they just go absolutely ballistically nuts over some stupid sporting event. And, you know, that's how they identify their manhood and, and, and the, uh, whatever. In that, that's that that's where they 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 can um they can express themselves, and that's what they really really you know care about, and it's just it's really pathetic um when you, when you start to think about it. But anyway, let's go further here. Uh, as you soak all this in, remember that the FBI has admitted to setting up terror plots, providing weapons and gear, staging the location of the bombings, and even driving the vehicles to pull it off. Again, see those links that I posted earlier, this is not a conspiracy theory. It has been admitted by the FBI right in the open. Even the New York Times openly reports all this in stories like this one. This was one from the New York Times.com. I'll give you the link here. Uh, it's, it says, um, terrorist plots hatched by the FBI. It's right from the New York Times. Uh, it says, quote, the United States has been narrowly saved from the lethal terrorist plots in recent years. Or so it has seen it, a would-be suicide bomber was intercepted on his way to the Capitol. A scheme to bomb synagogues and shoot Stinger missiles at military aircraft was developed by men in Newburgh, New York. In a fanciful idea to fly explosive-laden model planes into the Pentagon and the Capitol was hatched in Massachusetts. But all these dramas were facilitated by the FBI, whose undercover agents and informers posed as terrorists offering a dummy missile fake C4 explosives, a disarmed suicide vest, and rudimentary training. The, in other words, they do this all the time. So what's to say that they don't let these things start happening like it did at Aurora, where the guy was obviously had all this exotic gear, had been trained, most likely under, under some type of psychotropics, hypnosis, mind control, 
was in the neuroscience department of Colorado, was totally unemployed and collecting unemployment, yet he was able to have all this exotic, expensive equipment and pull off this elaborate thing? Yeah, right. So, going further, the FBI provided a van loaded with six 55-gallon drums of inert material, harmless blasting caps, and a detonator cord, and a gallon of diesel fuel to make the van smell flammable. See, this is also a way that the FBI can say, hey, look, see, yeah, we facilitated the whole thing, but we prevented it. But see, you need us to do that, because without us, you'll all die. You know? Um, An undercover FBI agent even did the driving. (laughs) So... This stuff goes on all the time. And, um, you know, it's almost like trial runs for all this stuff. So they can hone what they're doing and do it better and better and better. And all at the same time, they come out smelling like a rose because they say, hey, see, we, we yes, we created the problem, but we also averted the problem. Um, the mystery man, this guy, this um, <clears throat> shooter in the theater... They're saying has no real background. On top of all this, the cinema shooter, Holmes, has apparently no background. He's not on anybody's radar screen. Nothing. Said a peace officer in a New York Times article. The guy is somewhat of an enigma. Um, nobody knows anything about him. Mr. Holmes' only criminal history is a traffic summons, the authorities said. He earned a bachelor's degree with honors in neuroscience in 2010 from University of Cal- California, Riverside, he was a graduate student in neurosciences at University of Colorado at Denver's Anschultz Medical Campus. He was currently collecting unemployment. He's got like $20,000 worth of tactical gear, and he's, and he's collecting unemployment, and he's paying his rent, and he's paying all of his expenses that go from day-to-day living. So, question, how does an unemployed medical student afford $20,000 in weapons gear? It's also not cheap. <clears throat> Excuse me. To go to a neuroscience major uh, college like that, okay? So unless he had total like school loans that were covering everything. So anyway, if you start to look at the really big picture here, the obvious question arises: How does an unemployed medical student afford all the complex weapons gear, bomb making gear, flammable booby trap devices, ammunition, multiple magazines, bulletproof vests, groin protection, ballistic helmets? SWAT uniform and the rest of it. This stuff's expensive. You price, you start pricing this stuff out. <laughs> you can, you can drop twenty grand real easy on this type of stuff. A decent AR-15 rifle costs a thousand dollars or more all by itself. The shotgun and the handgun might run another eight hundred total. Ah, that's not even true. A, a really good handgun, a oh, Glock. He had a Glock and a shot. Yeah, I guess, but he could have spent more than eight hundred. Uh, spare mags, sights, slings, and so on will run you at least another thousand across three firearms. Uh, bulletproof vest is easily another eight hundred. The cost of a, of a bomb making gear is anybody's guess. With all the specialty body gear, ammunition, uh, booby trap making devices, is anybody's guess. With all the specialty, uh, I'm guessing that it's at least twenty thousand dollars in weapons and tactical gear much of which is very difficult for civilians to even get in the first place. The mere manufacture of an explosive device itself is a felony crime, by the way. And remember, Aurora Police Chief Dan Oates said Holmes' apartment is booby-trapped with a sophisticated maze of flammable devices. It could take hours or days for the authorities to disarm it. So, uh, in other words, this guy was also a, you know, a some type of explosive explosives expert, kind of on the side, you know. 
Question, where does an unemployed introverted medical student get the training to deploy sophisticated booby traps, tactical body armor, weapon systems, and more? Certainly not in graduate school. All this leads to an obvious third-party influence over all this. Someone else taught this guy these skills and funded the acquisition of the equipment. Staged just in time for a vote in the UN Small Arms Treaty? You bet. That's the whole reason behind this whole thing. That last sentence. The upcoming UN's Small Arms Treaty. This was the polarizing event Obama needed in order to get that push through. To take away all of our our Second Amendment right and our right to bear arms and our right to any kind of guns at all. Ultimately, that's where they're going to try to take it, ultimately. More and more, the shooting is looking like a desperate plot staged by the government itself, much like Operation Fast and Furious pulled off by the ATF, uh, which helped smuggle tens of thousands of guns into Mexico for the purpose of causing gun violence in the USA, then blaming it on the Second Amendment. I mean, how wicked and evil is that? They give the guns to the worst dregs, the worst, most evil people in society, guys that are actually down there worshipping the San Muerte death cult, the angel of death, these, these, these drug dealer dudes in Mexico, who are the most cutthroat people on the planet. Yes, let's give them the guns so that we can have more gun violence and then blame it on the Second Amendment, and our government was the one that gave it to them. That is pure wickedness. It, all this looks like James Holmes completed a, quote, mission and then calmly ended that mission by surrendering to police and admitting everything. That way they could blame him for everything. The mission, as we are now learning, was to cause as much terror and mayhem as possible. And then to have, the multiply, and then to have that multiplied by national media at exactly the right time leading up to the UN vote next week on a global small arms treaty that could result in gun confiscation across America. That's the reason. Right there. The main reason. Even Forbes.com wrote that this about this quite extensively, warning readers about the coming uh, gun confiscation effort related to the UN Treaty. The story was authored by Larry Bell and says the UN Treaty could override our national sovereignty and in the process provide license for the federal government to assert preemptive powers over state regulatory powers guaranteed by the 10th 10th Amendment in addition to the Second Amendment rights. In other words, this all has all the signs of Fast and Furious episode number two. I wouldn't be surprised to discover someone in Washington was behind it all. After all, there's no quicker way to disarm a nation and to take total control of the population than to stage violence, blame it on firearms, and then call for the leaders to do something. Let's look at the Reichstag fire, for instance. I looked this up separately. Reichstag fire... Uh, Here's a picture of it, actually. Uh, burning uh, the Parliament building, the Reichstag Parliament building in Berlin, on February 27, 1933, which is a key event in the establishment of the Nazi dictatorship, and widely believed to have been contrived by the newly formed Nazi government itself in order to turn public opinion against its opponents and to assume emergency powers. Again, same thing. We're trying to get public opinion. Take away our guns. Take away our guns. Protect us, Mr. Government. Please protect us, even though you caused this whole thing with your little mind control slave guy. Okay? We'll give up our rights. We don't care. We just want to be protected. Evidence discovered after World War II indicates that the fire that engulfed the Reichstag 28 days after Hitler's ascendancy to chancellery was planned and executed by his henchmen, Hermann Goring and Joseph Goebbels. 
Hitler publicly blamed the communists, an accusation that allowed him to arrest the communist members of the Reichstag and thereby eliminate his major political opposition. A young, mentally deranged communist Dutchman by the name of Marinus, Marinus van der Lubbe was arrested and tried and convicted of setting the fire. See, he was the scapegoat. He was the patsy. Most likely, he didn't even do it. So, again, but this is the same thing. This guy's not right. The guy they arrested, he's mentally deranged. He's spitting on the guards and I guess still calling himself the Joker or something while he's in prison. They had to remove him from the other prisoners because they wanted to kill him. The other prisoners in the jail that he's in right now. So it's it's very it's very similar. The guy's probably a mind control slave again, and he's. It reminds me of this young, mentally deranged communist Dutchman that they blamed on. Now, not to say he didn't do the shooting. I don't know. There's no. It could have been potentially shooters that came in there did it, and he was actually they had him waiting out there as the patsy. I don't know. It's it's hard to say one hundred percent for sure on that. Most likely, he did do the shooting. But, no matter what, he's going to take the fall for it. On February 28, 1933, the day after the fire, Hitler's dictatorship began with the enactment of a decree, quote, for the protection of the people and state. Which is exactly what this UN Small Arms Treaty, okay, which dispensed with all constitutional protection of political, personal, and property rights. So, Hitler used the Reichstag fire for this protection of the people and state dictatorship enactment decree, due to the Reichstag fire, a fire they had set, the, the Nazis, and what did it do? It only took away all, constitu- all constitutional protection of political, personal, and property rights. They're going to try to do the same thing with the UN Small Arms Treaty. It's the exact same scenario is what I'm trying to say. You can even see a uh, excerpt from the History Channel documentary detailing evidence of Hitler's supporters burning down the Reichstag in 1933. There's a link here you can click on for a short video. The Reichstag fire was a disaster for the communists because they received the blame for starting it, but it was a dream come true for Hitler and his cohorts as it allowed them to turn Germany into a dictatorship. Such calls inevitably end up resulting in gun confiscation. And it's never too long after that before government genocide really kicks in, like what we saw in Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot, Mao Zedong, and other tyrants. Here's a short list of government mass murder carried out throughout history, almost always immediately, get this, immediately following disarmament of the public, and usually involving staged false flag events to justify the disarmament. Mao Zedong, China, 50 million dead. And the dates are here, but I'm not going to get into all the dates. 12 million dead with Adolf Hitler. Leopold II of Belgium, 8 million dead. Joseph Stalin, 6 million? No, it's way more than that. It's like 50 million with Stalin. Anyway, that's not even remotely accurate on that one. Hideki Tojo, 5 million dead after he came in. Ishmael Enver, 2 million dead. Pol Pot, 1.7 million. I think these, these numbers are really low, but anyway. Kim, second Sung of North Korea, 1.6 million dead. Megsitsu of Ethiopia, 1.5 million dead. Uh, Yab, Yabkui Gowen of Bafara, 1 million dead. Leonid Betsnev of Afghanistan, 900,000 dead. Jean Kambada of Rwanda, of Rwanda 800,000 dead. Uh, you can see much more of that on the links here. In other words, when these guys got in power, they staged some event, 
The event was the thing used to blame how, why we have to disarm you. There's never any ever excuse they could ever give to disarm us. There's, there's, there is no good reason. If anything, if something happens like this, it's, it's crying out for that people need to have concealed weapons so that they could prevent a mass shooting like this. If three guys in there, in that movie theater, had concealed weapon permits, even if he killed one of them, the other two would get the guy. You can't shoot in three different directions at once. And it was dark, so they probably could have got the shots off a lot easier. Yeah, okay, the guy's wearing um, uh, body armor. But when you start getting hit with bullets, it's going to get your attention. You know, and a lot of times that by itself might stop the shooting. And or it might enable somebody to, to like be able to tackle the guy or do something to actually disarm him. It's just such garbage. So yes, James Holmes and other craze shooters kill a number of people each year in random acts of violence. It's horrifying and it's wrong, but it's nothing compared to the millions of lives that governments have destroyed when they gain total power over the populace by disarming the populace. And that is the key thing to look for. That is the number one thing that will happen. You want to know when they're going to start coming in wholesale slaughtering everybody? When they disarm the populace. That's when it's going to happen. It happens like that every single time. The most dangerous thing in the world, it turns out, is not a crazy person with a rifle. It's a government with a monopoly of force over the entire population. And our government couldn't be any more wicked than it's ever been right now. It's only going to get more wicked, but I'm saying, up until this point, it's just more and more wicked by the day. So, can you trust them? <laughs> Obviously. I mean, we trust, just look at Fast and Furious. I mean, yeah, we can trust them, sure. Obama, he's, he's, he's a righteous guy. You know, he's, everything he's doing is righteous. Everything, you know. So, I mean, we can trust them. Obviously, I'm being sarcastic, but, you know. Uh, and that's exactly what the UN spells out as its goal for the world. Stripping all the power from individual citizens and handing monopoly of, monopolies of force to the governments of the world, shoring up their positions as only the only legitimate power on the planet. So, yeah, this is a, this is a really huge deal because of that. Now, I'm going to go ahead and end part one here. And I think we're going to go to part two. And probably be our... Final part, and we're going to talk about the upcoming Satanic Calendar next. Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H.com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson. Second line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, number 202. Third line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.